What's next for the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee? Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Around the Rings Radio. I'm Ed Hula. As the Olympic world adapts to the consequences of the corona medical crisis and the resulting postponement of the Tokyo Olympics, how the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee will respond could be a bellwether for the rest of the Olympic movement. While the U.S. OPC has prospered through the years with funding from Olympic TV rights and sponsorship, the steady stream of income will be disrupted in 2020 with the Games postponement. Along with vanishing revenues for the U.S. OPC, national governing bodies for the Olympic sports will also experience declining cash flow affecting their ability to support athletes' training for the Olympics. There are a range of issues ahead for the world's biggest national Olympic committee as it deals with the corona medical crisis and the postponement, the unprecedented postponement of an Olympic Games. We're speaking with Sarah Hirschland by phone to her home in Colorado. Welcome to Around the Rings Radio, Sarah Hirschland. Thank you, Ed. It's great to be with you this morning, and I hope that you and all of your listeners are are home, safe, and healthy. And the best wishes to you and all of your colleagues there in Colorado. What? How, how has this lockdown the, the, this uh, affected the operation of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee? Uh, you're working at home. Your staff is working at home. How has this changed the way you operate? Well, certainly, like many, um, we are we are operating in a in a virtual environment. Uh, fortunately, you know, the vast majority, probably 75-80% of our team are able to continue to work uh, from home and work remotely. We're spending as much time as anybody through uh, video conferencing technology and tools and trying, trying to stay very, very well connected. There is, you know, about 20% of our workforce um, who are unable to work, um, mostly around our training centers, which you probably aren't surprised to hear uh, our training center here in Colorado Springs and the training center in Lake Placid, New York, are closed um, and only, you know, operating at a very bare minimum for the athletes um, who are in residence, and that's a real small number of athletes at this point. So we have some individuals who are unable to work. Most of us have adapted and are working remotely and, and making the best of it, um, staying connected in a virtual environment like so many. How has the, 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 there's been a tremendous impact on, on travel, which is, I guess, n- now, now no travel on, the part, on your part, the part of staff. I saw you last in Atlanta at the end of February at the U.S. Uh, marathon trials here in Atlanta. Have you been anywhere since then, and what is the impact of not being able to travel, having on your work and the work of actually your colleagues all around the world? Yeah, you know, as as a global movement, um, we certainly spend a lot of our time traveling around the world, and it does um, it, it causes us to have to work harder to maintain those connections. Um, but I've you know I've I've been on a number of video conference calls with uh, members of the IOC from Switzerland, uh, or staff I should say, rather than members. Um, certainly, we're staying very well connected with our colleagues in the Pan Am Sports area. I'm spending a fair bit of my time um, with my colleagues and leaders of other NOCs around the world, uh, sharing, you know, sharing experiences, sharing dialogue, 
um, and frankly, just just staying connected as we uh, sort of concurrently plan and adapt our plans. More importantly, for um, you know what we're what we're looking at with the postponement and the the gains in both Tokyo and Beijing to come so closely together. The 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 circumstances that you're going through today makes it pretty clear that it would be unable, you'd be unable to carry out preparations for Olympic Games and Paralympic Games in Tokyo just four months from now. Well, there's no question. And, and, and frankly, it would be um, incredibly irresponsible on, on our behalf to consider such a thing in lieu of what's required from an athletic preparation standpoint. Um, you know, we would, we, the, the athletes need the time to train and to properly prepare. And while I will give our athletes an enormous amount of credit for some incredible creativity, um, in their physical training, um, that many of them are sharing on social media and other channels, the reality is the training that's happening today is not what it needs to be, um, for these athletes. And we need, we need to give them ample time and ample facilities to really properly train for a competition uh, of the magnitude of, of the Olympic or Paralympic Games. And, and that's going to take more time than we have this year. Uh, you know, in the meantime, how do you provide for the welfare and support of athletes who are now in this devolved state of sports organization in the U.S. and around the world? How do you take care of them? when It, it, it involves a lot of one-to-one contact and that kind of, uh, that kind of work, that kind of support. It does, and you know, like like those of us on the administrative side of things, um, those in the in the sport performance and training side of things are also adapting. Um, coaches are adapting virtual coaching. Um, certainly, the the sports services providers, some of them are simply unable to do what they do, um, but they too are trying to adapt. Um, so you know, you'll have physical therapists, massage therapists, folks who are focused on recovery techniques are trying to help uh, walk athletes through those kinds of techniques in a virtual environment using whatever tools they have available to them. So there's an enormous amount of creativity required to adapt. Um, And and certainly it's easier for some than others. There's no question about that. But, But more importantly, our support for athletes it's focused on, you know, continuing um, the, the, the resources for those athletes who are receiving stipends and payments for, from us to ensure that they can continue um, to, you know, live and, and satisfy their basic needs, frankly. Um, we've expanded and really doubled down on the mental health side of things. Um, both our sports psychologists have expanded their availability and we've expanded. We have a, a benefit here in the U.S. We call ComPsych, which is a telehealth emotional support mental health system. Uh, and we expanded that access to more than 4,500 athletes um, and their families who have the ability to use that telehealth and telemedicine um, tool uh, for up to eight sessions. So it isn't a long-term solution, but it is certainly a solution that can be helpful for, for those experiencing you know, some of the very real challenges of emotionally and mentally adapting to a very different situation than what they had predicted. And so that's an important thing for us. Um, You may have seen we announced a mental health task force. We did our first mental health um, 
We titled it Mental Health and Flourishing 101 for Elite Athletes. It was a webinar that we organized um, and had about 80 athletes who attended, conducted by one of the members of our mental health task force, Dr. Victor Schwartz. So we were quite pleased um, with the turnout for that, and I expect that we'll do quite a few more, um, you know, virtual webinar-type discussions with experts around different topics. You mentioned stipends, uh, payments that athletes are, are receiving from U.S. Olympic Paralympic Committee. Is Those are still um, being made without interruption? They are. Yes, they are. And the Olympic Training Centers in Colorado Springs is the big one. There's the winter one in 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 Lake Placid. What will have to happen before those facilities are able to open again? Well, a, a couple important things. You know, first and foremost, we need to ensure that we're following the guidance of state and local public health officials. And right now, their guidance to us. Um, does not permit those facilities to be open. So we, we need the, the local and state-level health officials to determine, um, you know, that, that it is permissible. Um, but more importantly, we have to put procedures and processes in place that we feel are, are, are adequate and sufficient to keep people safe. And so those two things have to go in tandem. Um, can, we, can we ensure that the facilities are an environment and that we create structures and processes around that environment um, to really limit the risk. And then secondly, obviously, we need to operate within the guidelines given to us by our our state and public health officials. So we are working on um, what a sort of reemergence and reopening can look like. Um, We're talking to a number of folks around the world, frankly. Some of them have started this process in staggered ways where they'll split their day into two shifts to reduce the number of individuals in any facility at a point in time, allowing for more physical distancing than would be normal. Special cleaning procedures to sanitize facilities much more regularly and in between those shifts, things of that nature that we're seeing others around the world start to do. We're watching and staying in touch um, to understand the the effectiveness of some of those things. And as soon as we feel like um, we can begin to to reopen, if you will, we will do that in a measured and phased way. This guy, we're talking with Sarah Hirschland, the CEO of the U.S. Olympic Paralympic Committee, about the implications, the consequences of uh, the corona uh, pandemic, as well as postponement of the of the Tokyo Olympics until 2021. And one of the impacts of that postponement is going to be on the revenue stream for you and other national Olympic committees and international federations around the world. Uh, the U.S. in particular is a beneficiary of a special arrangement with the IOC, a, a, new, a new agreement which actually took, takes effect in, in, in 2020, uh, an agreement that was negotiated some seven years ago with the with the IOC and it uh, accounts for about a couple hundred million dollars a year in revenue every or a hundred million dollars in revenue across the uh, the quad if my numbers are more or less correct but uh, Sarah Herson would you talk about what kind of impact the postponement of Tokyo is going to have to your your bottom line the USOPC cash flow 
Sure, and, and there's no question there will be impact. We haven't yet determined um, what our revenue shortfall will be as an organization, in large part um, because of the complexity of the discussions. Uh, you alluded to um, the, the relationship with the global top sponsors. We also uh, generate you know, significant resources for our organization through a base of domestic um, U.S.-based sponsorships and licensing arrangements. And then, of course, the broadcast uh, arrangement in partnership with the IOC and NBC for those rights here in this country. And each of those, um, clearly the value delivery around both the broadcast and the sponsorship and licensing components are directly correlated to the games. Um, And there are complexities among all of those, both in the magnitude of the revenue and the impact on magnitude and also the timing of that revenue. And so we are looking at and evaluating what will um, that revenue shortfall look like, both in overall um, magnitude, but then also in timing and how do we then plan for, you know, economic stability for our organization based on cash flow and timing uh, of the delivery and, and the value certainly delivery around those revenue streams. So it is a complex um, structure, in, and it is a it is an uncertain time. Our revenue sources, you know, the last revenue source of note is the philanthropic side. Um, so when you look at the that the organization's funding, it is coming exclusively from you know, private, the private sector, whether that be corporations and businesses or from individuals and philanthropists, um, in both cases, each are, are facing their own set of economic challenges unrelated to the Tokyo postponement and very related to the economic impact of the COVID-19 virus. So we are committed to being good partners to our very important partners and working through each scenario with the care it deserves. Um, And we're also being very fiscally responsible in thinking about our own organization and ensuring um, that we are going to come through this with financial stability, albeit recognizing um, we're going to have to make some difficult choices. And as we always do, we're never going to have the resources to do all the things we want to do. So we will focus our energy on service to our athletes in partnership with our national governing bodies um, and ensure that we're ready to, to take Team USA both to Tokyo and to Beijing shortly thereafter. You're listening to Around the Rings Radio. I'm Ed Hula, and I'm speaking today with Sarah Hirschland, the CEO of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee. Are you worried that you will have to make budget cuts in Colorado Springs? There may be uh, reductions in staff that might result from from the revenue streams. Uh, I don't don't think you can be worried. Um, I think you just have to be pragmatic and you have to take an approach that that is based in principles, based in our strategic plan, based in the values of the organization, and make decisions accordingly. And there's never been an organization in history that had all the resources it wanted to do everything it could do. Um, And this just, you know, this just will be a time where that's, uh, more true than ever, where we will not have all the resources that we want to do everything, and we're going to have to make choices. Um, there's no doubt about that. You you get no money from the federal government the way other national Olympic committees do, but uh, there was a request to Congress a couple of weeks ago for the government to help 
cover some of the shortfall that's being faced. Um, can you tell us more about what you were asking for from Congress and why you think they weren't able to come to the come to your aid this time? Well, yeah, let me let me clarify. Um, the request we made to Congress was on behalf of our national governing bodies and and the athletes who were seeing very immediate reductions in their revenue streams. Um, so we did a survey of the all the national governing bodies here and a survey of the athletes um, that we could reach and asked for some some orders of magnitude around what they were seeing in revenue loss and what they thought um, that was going to look like, you know, over the course of the 2020 calendar year. And that's where the $200 million number came from, about $150 million from the NGBs and about $50 million from the athlete community. And so our request, as the government was very quickly putting together stimulus plans, our request was to try to be included in that stimulus um, such that the, the national governing bodies and athletes could see some income replacement based on what they were seeing. As you know, uh, the national governing bodies' economic structures are quite different than ours. Sponsorship is a component of revenue for some of them, um, but, but membership dues and event registration fees um, are also significant revenue streams for many of the national governing bodies. So when the sports landscape um, was essentially put on hold and all of those events canceled, um, the revenue hit to the national governing bodies was immediate and very significant. Um, so they are they are in a very difficult position, feeling immediate um, revenue losses in in the magnitude of twenty, thirty, uh, even forty percent in some cases. And those organizations are small, um, many of them quite scrappy in the way they operate. And so this will be very challenging for them. And we're doing everything we can to try to understand that, um, and, and now have been really quite effective, um, the national governing bodies, in reaching out for the small business loan support that the government has put in place. Um, I think most, if not all, of the NGBs have applied. Some of them have been accepted and are already seeing some of those loans, which would give them relief on being able to maintain their staffing. So it, it's an important part of the process, um, and the NGBs, uh, are, are are really uh, um, in a difficult position. And, you know, uh, priority number one has to be keeping everybody safe, but a, a very close number two, particularly for the health and well-being of the national governing bodies, is allowing um, individuals to return to play, not just at the elite levels, um, but all the way down to the recreational level. Back to Congress, do you, how would you assess your relationship with Congress? It's been it seems a, a difficult two or three years, especially as Congress, the Senate, and the House have had to deal with concerns over the sex abuse scandals in gymnastics and other sports. Uh, the, 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 there, there doesn't seem to be a, a strong sentiment on the part of members of Congress towards the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee at this stage. Is this perhaps a, a hangover? from these uh, issues that you're, you're still dealing with? Well, I think, look, I mean, Congress was doing its job in investigating um, what happened in the wake of, you know, some 
unthinkable and awful sexual abuse scenarios. And so, you know, they, they, they needed to do the investigation and the work that they were doing um, to properly service the constituents that they were hearing from. And our relationship with Congress is quite good, actually. Um, we work both with members of the House and members of the Senate and, frankly, um, you know, members of the, the White House administration. As you can imagine, there are a lot of aspects to our relationship with the, with the federal government. Um, so, certainly... You know, Congress has asked us difficult questions. They have poked, um, they have pressed for information, and they have have had every right to want to make sure they understand uh, what role our organization had in uh, what what happened and what culture is being promoted in sport. Um, we continue to communicate with them literally on a weekly, if not daily basis. Our team in Washington, D.C. is really focused on staying in touch with them and ensuring that we're collaborating really closely to ensure they understand the changes we're making in the organization, the work we're doing, uh, the importance of support for the national governing bodies and the importance of oversight, but also, um, you know, the importance of support for athletes and what it takes to to field a team for uh, an, an Olympic or Paralympic Games. So I, I would categorize the relationship as collaborative. We work together. Uh, we each have a role to play, and, and we're doing that in partnership. Could you talk about the changes that are coming to the USOPC to increase athlete involvement in the governance of the organization? That's one of the issues that uh, Congress was concerned about. Um, you see this as a, uh, as a response, as a, um, um, uh, you know, a new way forward for the USOPC. Well, it's really important that athletes not only feel that their voice is being heard, um, but that the organization is is acting on the feedback that we're getting from the athletes. And we, we needed to put some mechanisms in place to improve the efficacy of those processes. The Athletes Advisory Council is a great example. You certainly hear a lot about that. Over the course of the last, you know, 12 to 18 months, we have really strengthened um, not only our relationship with our Athletes Advisory Council, but the efficacy of that council's ability to properly communicate with their athlete community, uh, organize information, bring feedback forward, and participate in decision-making. And so that the processes and structures needed to be put in place. Um, increased athlete support on our board is important. Increased athlete support in NGB decision-making is important. And so we've made, as you know, significant changes to our organization's governance um, and are continuing. We are working on what we'll call phase three now. I think this will be the third of three phases of governance reforms that our goal is to have them completed by the end of the year. And as we enter 2021, um, we will be, from a, from a governance perspective, we'll be quite a different organization than we were two years ago. Uh, and I feel very strongly about those changes, that we are, uh, we are putting the right processes and systems in place to ensure that we're effective in having diverse perspectives represented, not just at the board table, at the board table, but also in working groups, in key decision-making that's happening and on an ongoing basis with our Athletes Commission. It's, it's just an important part of the process. We're talking with USOPC CEO Sarah Hirschland on this edition of Around the Rings Radio. 
Uh, back to the Tokyo postponement. Uh, what kind of complications in a, I guess, a practical and a, in a physical way does the USOPC face regarding training camps, hospitality centers, other facilities that you'd already obligated for this year? What happens to those? What, there, there's, a, there's a lot of moving parts you're having to deal with, I, I would assume, as a result of this change. There is no question. The, lo- the logistical implications um, are significant. Fortunately, uh, we are finding thus far, um, and we're, we've only been at this here for a couple of weeks, but thus far we're finding uh, both the Tokyo Organizing Committee, but also all of the vendors and organizations that we're working with um, to be incredibly accommodating um, and, and, frankly, just wonderful in uh, adapting planning um, as it relates to the postponement. I think the most difficult part is actually the reality of uh, effectively blending our planning and preparation for the Tokyo Games and the Beijing Games. Um, that is, you know, there are all, uh, there's been a cadence and a cycle to the games and then the winter games and the preparation time and planning time that, that is in between them. And with that gap narrowed as much as it has been, that's where we'll feel the most strain as an organization. Um, and so we are having to be creative and, and planning our resources, both human and, you know, financial in thinking about how do we navigate the realities of two significant um, competitions in a short period of time, ensuring that all of the athletes have all of the same opportunities um, regardless of, of the time in between. And so that, that's where our focus is. How do we adapt those plans, uh, both in delaying Tokyo, but more importantly in managing our way through the Tokyo Games and the Beijing Games, which now we almost have to look like or to look at as a, as a unit, if you will. Almost back-to-back, there's just a a few months apart, really, from uh, the mobilization of, of forces, so to speak, that are required for the uh, Winter Olympics after the Summer Games. Uh, you know, at the same time, you have to be closely monitoring the the health concerns, the uh, issues about lingering traces of coronavirus, uh, travel to China. Um, you know, is this is this something that you have to include in your in your planning as well? this kind of uh, little detective work surveillance, if you will. Is it safe for our athletes to go to Japan next year? Is it safe for U.S. athletes to go to Beijing in 2022? Well, certainly we will rely heavily on um, medical and public health officials to answer that question for us. Um, I know we're all hopeful, um, and that's certainly what we're planning for, um, but we will we will put safety uh, above all else in our prioritization, and when it's time to make those decisions, um, we will rely on experts who can who can guide us appro- appropriately. We're hearing from Tokyo 2020 today that in 2021 there is no other plan B, uh, that, that the games will happen in 2021, or I guess they won't happen. Um, is there a plan B for the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee as it looks to 2021, and perhaps the eventuality that the Olympics might not happen at all because of extenuating medical circumstances. 
Well, it would be um, certainly another level of of tragedy if this virus continues to have such severe impact on the world um, that it caused that to happen. Um, So I think we all have to recognize that if we're in a position where, in fact, it remains unsafe, um, then our priorities have to be focused on uh, a much bigger and more important reality that we'd be facing at that point in time, and that's just, frankly, the health and safety um, of the citizens of the world. And we're going to be in a position, as we are now, um, where we've got to keep our priorities focused in the right places. Uh, It would be a terrible, terrible thing if our athletes never had the opportunity to compete um, in this game. But if if we are there, uh, I suspect that we are going to have other and very significant challenges that we're facing as a world that we're going to want to be focused on. What kind of impact is this having on planning for Los Angeles in 2028 for those Olympic Games? Well, certainly, you know, it's it's a distraction and a disruption um, for that organization as much as anything, um, but they do have the benefit of a lot of time. Um, and so we're working, you know, closely as we always have with our partners in L.A. Um, this is, as you know, an important season for them and time for them to build foundational structures of the organization and to begin to mobilize um, the commercial and corporate community. That has, has become challenging in light of um, the COVID-19 virus. So certainly um, there's dis- distraction and disruption for them as much as anything, um, but let's hope that by the time we are in a meaningful lead-up to the LA 28 Games, um, we're, we're living in a world that has long since recovered and defeated this virus. Yeah, Delta Airlines announced as the first major sponsor for LA 2028 literally just days before the, the crash of the markets and the Olympic postponement. Um, are you uh, concerned about the, uh, the the strength of that sponsorship and uh, whether they'll be able to uh, go through with their plans? We're not. Um, you know, Delta is an incredible organization, um, and I think as we feel about United, who's been an incredible and, and remains our strong partner uh, through the end of this year, um, you know, we will, as a world, we will travel again and we will certainly uh, rebound. And those organizations have been just incredible, um, not just in partnership to us, but frankly, um, in understanding the priorities of their customers. Um, it sends a really good signal and a very good message to the world when we see companies step up and acknowledge and recognize um, their responsibility as as global citizens. And we've seen uh, both United and Delta do that in a really powerful way. And we're, we're we're proud to be partners with United today, and we will be proud to be partners with Delta as we go forward. Would you be able to strike that deal with Delta in today's climate? Um, what would be what, what's your assessment of the market right now for other Olympic sponsorships? Challenging? I think having a conversation about sponsorship today is challenging. Um, for how long that remains, um, I don't know, and I don't think any of us know. Um, certainly, right now, organizations are, are spending their time and energy focusing on adapting, um, but we all also know that um, the corporate world has to market their products and services, and there is no better 
um, partnership and no better brand to align yourself with than with the Olympic and Paralympic Games. So we feel uh, confident in the quality of the Olympic and Paralympic movement as a marketing tool um, and as a, a very important part of society. I think we can all um, enjoy a moment to speculate about what this game could mean for bringing the world back together. And I feel very comfortable that, that if we can overcome the challenges um, with the virus, um, and, and we will, and we don't know when, but when we do, um, we will have a very strong value proposition to deliver. Um, and so we've, you know, we've got to be patient until the time is right. But when the time is right, I'm as bullish as I've ever been on the quality and the value proposition that we have to bring forth. Team USA athletes uh, are an incredible, incredible group of people. And as a collective, uh, they will inspire our nation and in many cases our world. And that's a very powerful reality that we're proud to be part of. Sarah Harrison, you're being very generous with us with your time on this marathon edition of Around the Rings Radio. Just a few more questions here. How will this influence interest in the U.S. bid for the Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City, the designated nominee for the United States, possibly for 2030, or is this now really on the back burner given what we're dealing with right now with, with Tokyo and Corona? Well, I'll say again that fortunately um, we have the benefit of some time. Uh, you know, the soonest that that um, could even be considered is 10 years off. And so uh, fortunately we don't feel like that's an area where right this moment we need to be investing a lot of time and energy. That said, I will tell you, um, we maintain a great uh, relationship with our friends in Salt Lake. They do have a committee organized um, to prepare for a bid should that um, become um, appropriate from a time perspective, and we do intend to thoroughly evaluate um, hosting another Winter Games here in the U.S. And, and doing so in partnership with Salt Lake. So it is, uh, I won't say we have forgotten about it, but it is not our number one priority right this moment. You have been involved with sport with most of your professional career. How will this whole crisis, the postponement of the Olympics, the, the, the corona, situation. Change the way sport is organized and conducted. Will things ever be as they once were? I don't think that you ever come out of something so significant as this um, and go back to the way things were. Um, what will be interesting for us is to understand what changes. Um, there will be innovation and creativity that comes from this that will change um, the way we look at sport and the way sport operates. I can't tell you what that will be today, but I'm certain um, time and time again, change forces creativity and innovation. Um, and there will be new, new ideas and new structures um, that emerge. And then there will be time-honored traditions that stand um, and that hold. And so we'll have the benefit of, of going back to what we know and love in some ways and the benefit of finding what is new and what is different in other ways. And I think that's the, you know, that, that's, that's the hope and the optimism that we all have to have in this is how can each of us contribute to that innovation and the creativity of how we make what we do better while at the same time not losing sight of history and not losing sight of the traditions and the strengths 
um, that we walked into this situation with. And, and that's a balancing act and certainly something that I, as the leader of this organization, am spending a lot of time thinking about. I was going to say, is there a positive takeaway from all of this? And it sounds like you've, uh, you're on, on the track there with, uh, with your answer there. I, you know, I have to believe so. Um, I get out of bed every day believing, believing in what we do, um, and so I, I have to believe that when we come back, we will come back stronger. Um, and and my job is to to ensure that that happens and to figure out um, what that looks like and how we can make sure it comes true. And a lot of that is a function um, of me listening. And so I'm I'm listening and I'm watching. Um, and I'm, I'm just incredibly, as I said, I'm incredibly proud of Team USA athletes, of our national governing bodies, uh, of our broadcast partners, of our corporate partners, all of whom are finding new ways to do what they do. And as we bring that together, um, we're going we're gonna to come out from this in a stronger place. And I think the, the other thing that happens in times like this is people come together Ironically, physically, we can't do that right now. Um, but emotionally, you create very strong, trusting relationships in times of challenge, and that will in undoubtedly um, make us better. Sarah Hirschland, CEO of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee. A real pleasure to have you with us today. A great conversation. Well, thank you, Ed, for uh, the time and, and the good questions. Look forward to your continued coverage and keeping us informed of what's going on around the world. And best of health and success to you, your family, your colleagues there in Colorado as well. Thank you. Same to you, Ed. Take good care. Thank you very much for joining us as well for Around the Rings Radio. I'm your host, Ed Hula. For more than 25 years, your best source of news about the Olympics is AroundTheRings.com.